0: Good morning, Warehouse Church, we're so glad that you are here this morning uh, to worship the Lord Jesus and to and to assemble together and to fellowship together and to hang out with some great, great people here in Plano, Texas. My wife, Kim, and I are in Mays Landing, New Jersey at Fresh Start Church. Kim and I spoke at a marriage retreat here. Uh, we flew right into a nor'easter with like a ton of snow and had a planes, trains, and automobile experience. But been a great weekend so far. We're getting ready to start the Saturday night church service. I'm speaking tonight at 5 and then three times tomorrow. So I appreciate your prayers, and I know that uh, it's going to be a good service here. We know it's going to be a good service at Warehouse Church today, and we're super, super glad that you're here. Let me share with you a couple things that are going on uh, before I introduce our speaker. On Saturday, March the 24th, we're having our first workday at our new property at 600 Data Drive. In Plano we want to make sure that you're there from 8 o'clock until noon on that Saturday and if you could make sure you're only bringing children that are 12 years old and older Uh, it is a work it is a construction site and we want to keep everybody safe and uh, anybody that brings kids your kids are gonna stay with you but only kids that are 12 and older so really make sure that that's a priority because we just wanted to make sure your kids are safe second thing is next weekend I'm starting a series called all in and we're gonna talk about how Jesus went all in for us and how we can go all in for him. And this is very timely with us preparing uh, to start construction on our new property. So I hope you're gonna be here throughout the whole series. Plan on being here from start to finish. Lots of neat events happening through that on the weekends with our walk, with the breakfast, with our home meetings we're gonna be having. But make sure you're a part of that very special time as we go all in together. And lastly this morning, it is an honor for me to introduce to you our guest speaker. His name is Pastor Joshua Bell. He's a church planner in uh, one of the biggest cities in the world in London, uh, England. I know he and his wife are going to be moving there pretty soon. So if you could this morning, I want you to make them feel welcome. Uh, We're looking forward to partnering with them in our camp ministry in Wales and doing other things with them. So I want you to do something for me. Make him feel really, really welcome. Stand up on your feet. Everybody stand up with me. And let's give a big, 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 loud, thunderous clap for our guest speaker today, Pastor Josh Bell. Let's give it up for Josh, everybody.
1: That is the best welcome ever. You tell pastor that, okay? The best welcome ever. Are you excited to be here this morning, church? You know, there is no better place, no better place to be, especially this time, this day, than with the people of God. And I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I'm going to have my wife. I'm going to embarrass her a little bit just to stand up. My wife, Ashley. Yay. All right. All right. This year, at the end of the year, we'll have our 17th anniversary. Yes, that is correct. I don't have to look. I know it's correct. I know it's correct. Um, We have three unbelievable children. Evan is 12, Audrey is 10, and Daphne is 3. There's a picture of them in the back along with a prayer card. And I'm just going to tell you now, I may tell you multiple times go back and get a prayer card and put this in your wallet, put it on your fridge, put it in your car. And pray for us. Uh, We're in big transition coming up in July. We're going to be moving to London for the first time. We've been on the road for about five years. London is a very expensive place. And no other country in the world, I think, can support church planting missionaries like us than the most wealthy country in the world. And we've got to be involved not only in sending missionaries to the third world, but to the first world countries. You know, when I told people that we were going to be missionaries and church planters, I was so excited. I was fired up. And people said, well, where in Africa are you going? Because in our minds, and listen, Africa is a needy place. But In our mind, missions is only done in certain areas, and that's just not true. Do you know that of all the unreached people groups in the world, the top 100 un- most unreached people groups live, have a representative in London? Do you know that there are 1,000 people groups that have a population of over 10,000 in London? It's one of the most diverse places in the world you know that because of immigration and because of refugees and because of people moving people from all over the world are moving to the first world countries specifically in Europe and we have an opportunity by supporting and sending missionaries and church planners in those areas to reach people in countries that you and I as Americans could never go into and isn't that amazing we can literally reach the world from London England but you know what London has not always been a quote-unquote easy sell for people. Some people don't get it. And so I've had to answer this question, why London? Why are you going to London? Isn't England churched? Don't they have churches? Don't they have Christians? Well, friends, England is really no longer a Christian nation. No matter what you see and what you read, churches are closing left and right. If you ask an average person on the street, does the church have any positive impact on society, they would say no. In southeast London where we're going to plant churches, we want, that's why we call our, this is why we call our ministry Bridging London, because we want to rebuild spiritual bridges and connect Londoners to Jesus Christ. Therefore, doing the Great Commission, which is making followers of Londoners. We can't do that unless we go and we plant churches, because the church is the conduit by which we reach any city. That's why you're doing what you're doing here, to reach the city. You're, you're revamping this church, starting this church, and you're going to do great things. I know that, and I know that there are great things that await for us in London. In fact, here's a huge prayer need. Our partners, we're partnering with a couple uh, named Tarl and Adrian Reeves. They have three kids. There's also a young guy named Justin Rhodes, single guy that's working with our team. We're joining them in July. We just were told, uh, we were just invited as a team to come into a church called Welling Church in Welling, uh, England, which is in a suburb of London on the southeast side. They have a gigantic building. They have a car park, which is what we call a parking lot, which is very unusual. And we're going to be able to move in and double overnight their, their attendance because there's 13 members and there's 13 of us. And so we're going to have this building, and we're going to be able to complete what Ashley and I have a vision of as planting or revitalizing 20 churches in 20 years. And this church in Willing, I believe, is going to be the first step to God turning London on its head for Christ. And I can't wait for that. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear from a friend of mine on our video. I asked Adam, who he came from a really broken uh, home life, but he, the Lord saved him, and he's doing great things. He's working with a, a, uh, uh, a missionary church planter in London. And I asked him a series of questions, and a few years ago we filmed it. And you're going to see the questions, and you're going to hear Adam answer. But I also want you to notice the, the diverse the diversity in the people that are walking behind him and see and really feel why London is such a needy place for the gospel.
2: London is in a very desperate state spiritually. We are one of the hot points now in Europe for multiculturalism and mass immigration. And that's led to many different religions and belief systems coming into the city. And that's then led to religious pluralism, which is the idea that all religions are equally true and should be therefore equally respected. But with that said, London is predominantly secular. Most people adopt a very aggressive atheistic worldview and they're very suspicious of religion and Christianity. And this has had the biggest impact on the youth culture. Um, It's very common to see teenagers as young as 13 or 14 getting involved in sex, drugs, alcohol. It's considered to be quite normal. And so it's really led to the breakdown of the Christian culture and society at large. I would say it's very important for American missionaries and church planters to come to London. Um, I've been living here now for 26 years and I can say that one of the most the biggest problems is that the church has been very influenced by the culture and this has led to the acceptance of evolutionary theory, uh, fornication, Uh, homosexuality in the church, all of these things and so there's a great need for godly men and women uh, from the States to come to London who are committed to teaching the Bible um, as the literal uh, infallible Word of God and restore confidence. I would say that that's very important and very essential if things are going to change um, with the course of the culture in the UK. I've had the privilege to work with a number of American missionaries and church planters and they've had a tremendous impact on my Christian life. Uh, When I first got started, um, first got saved and began in my Christian walk, I was very zealous but I didn't have very much knowledge. And uh, coming to a church where um, there were American uh, church planters who knew the Word of God and were um, willing to take me through discipleship, I really grew a lot, I really grew tremendously. And this included things like uh, preaching my first sermon, knowing how to unpack and understand the word of God and apply it to my life and be able to evangelize more effectively as well. And so I would say that it's been a tremendous blessing to get involved with church planters and missionaries um, and uh, I'm very grateful to God uh, for them in my life. I know Josh Bell, Um, he's a great guy, I've had the privilege of spending time with him and he's someone I can say is really passionate about getting the gospel here to London. And I would encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting Josh and his family um, in their endeavour to to get over here. Um, I can't really emphasise enough just how desperate things are in London spiritually. If things are allowed to continue as they are, then it's very clear that within maybe a few years, uh, London will be completely secular and totally unrecognizable from the days of old. And so I really would encourage you, support Joshua and his family.
1: If you're on social media, look us up. I wanna be your friends, I wanna answer your questions. I wanna know that you guys are, are behind us and praying for us. Go ahead and turn with with me to in your Bibles to Acts twenty one. Acts twenty one. We're going to start with verse verse ten, but I want to share a story with you if you don't mind. It's kind of a kind of a harrowing, maybe kind of creepy story from my childhood, but it kind of sets the scene. I grew up in Arkansas, and when uh, my dad was a, a firefighter, a police officer, paramedic—I mean, he did it all. I mean, he worked his fingers to the bone. So we didn't have a lot of money. But my granddad had a cabin at a lake called Greer's Ferry Lake in north central Arkansas that we spent all of our free time. But in the summer, and really in the spring, this happened in the spring, before we got to have fun, we had to do a little spring cleaning, cleaning the house, painting. And one time when I was about 8 to 10 years old, my job was to go out and clean out the old shed. Have you ever been in those sheds, those fishing sheds, and they smell like, you you know, fishing equipment and paint and tools? And I love that smell, even though it's weird. So I'm out there and I'm cleaning the shed and I've got my broom and I'm sweeping, I'm sweeping, I'm sweeping, and all of a sudden I knock over this box and to my horror, I disturb a family of rats. Can I get an amen? All right, and I guess because I'm holding the broom, I look like a threat, like I've got a weapon in my hand. Uh, that was the furthest from the truth, <laughs> okay, and they didn't like it, and they're coming at me, and instead of going backing out out of the door. When I back up a few feet, I hit the back of the shed, and I'm trapped, okay? And I realize I'm still holding the, the broom, so I'm looking like an aggressor, okay? Well, they begin to crawl up my legs, and they begin to, to bite, and, you know, I'm grabbing my legs with, with all my might, and I don't want them to go any further than my knees, and I'm, I'm screaming, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrified, Okay? I, I'm, I'm deathly afraid of anything small, furry, and quicker than I am, okay? And I'm, I'm terrified. I'm screaming. In fact, I scream so loud that I wake myself up. <laughs> I had that dream, that reoccurring dream almost my entire childhood. Don't you hate nightmares? And nightmares really come from what? Our greatest fears, You know what my my reoccurring nightmare is now is that I get up to the podium. Number one, I'm late, and then I don't have any of my stuff, and that terrifies me. You know, sometimes fear can be a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing. You know, we tell our kids, don't touch the stove, don't play in the street. Fear can protect us. That's healthy fear, but unhealthy fear can be the greatest enemy, the fiercest enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fear can interfere. It can be crippling. It can be murderous to the plans that God has for you and for me. And I speak from experience because for years, my wife and I let fear keep us from stepping out of the boat in faith and trusting God in his call to, to leave America and go on the foreign field. You know, fear a lot of times is inward, but sometimes don't, doesn't fear attack us from the outside? Like when when we told people we're going to go to England, our family members said, are y'all crazy? Do you know what you're doing? What about your kids? How are you going to survive? How are you going to feed yourself? And on and on and on. And all these fears poured down upon us. Sometimes the work of fear in our lives is inward, and sometimes it's outward. Our friends and family, although they can be huge support sometimes, when we say we're going to step out and do whatever it is we're going to do for the Lord, maybe start a Sunday school class or start a Bible study in our work or whatever it is, or go to the inner city and do ministry, or pack up and fly to another country and live and work there, sometimes our friends and families can be, and their fears can can deter us. In Acts 21, we pick up on a situation that Paul faced. He faced not only his fears, but external fear. You see, he had traveled from the city of Tyre, and he finally reached Ptolemas. And then he moved on, and he came to a place called Caesarea, and he stayed in the home of Philip, who was an evangelist. And he stayed there many days. And during that time, he had a visit from a prophet named Agabus. And this prophet had a very sobering message to deliver to Paul. You see, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. That's what God wanted him to do, to go and to preach there. But Agabus has warned him not to go there. If you go you'll be imprisoned. That's when the outside forces of fear began to come in on him. Their fear about what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem was pressing down upon Paul. So what was he going to do? Well, when we set out to do what God calls us to do, we may very well face our fears, and you will, but you also may face the fears of those who love you the most, those who are your friends. You know, as I said, it could be that God wants you to go on the mission field. It could be that God wants you to do more in this church. It could mean that God wants you to give more to missions. It may mean that God wants you to to tell your unbelieving parent about Christ or your coworkers or to start a new ministry or whatever it might be. Serving the Lord is glorious, but it also can be very frightening and scary. And what's going to happen? We all want to know what's going to happen. But if you let it, fear will keep you from giving of your resources, of your time, of your talents, of your life to God. And in the light of God's call, by the way, God has called each and every one of you to be proclaimers of the gospel among the nations, whether you're here or abroad. So in the light of God's call, every, every one of you, every believer can conquer fear by remembering these three exhortations. And number one is don't trust on man's understanding. Let's look in the scripture this morning, Verse 10. As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this belt and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought or begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. It's interesting to note that Luke... Paul's closest companion and the human author of Acts is in this group begging Paul to not do what God told him to do. That's just an interesting side note. They're at, let's call it a dinner party, and there's this prophet Agabus. Why is he called a prophet? You can't be called a prophet unless you've prophesied and your prophecy has been correct. So obviously, He had been correct, and he was called a prophet. And he did this demonstration where he takes Paul's belt off. He ties his hands, and he says, basically, the owner of this belt will be put in chains, will be imprisoned, that whoever owns this belt, this very same thing will happen to him. Okay? When he gives this prophecy, everybody sat up straight, I imagine, and said, whoa. Say, what now? And they got very uncomfortable. And they said, Paul, you can't do this. You know what fear does? Fear messes with our ability to decision-make. Let me say a couple of things. How many of you have ever taken a job because it was the perfect situation? Better money, more uh, time off. You could get a better car, better house, better town, better, 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 better. But when you got there, it was the worst decision you ever made. Has that ever happened? It's happened to me. We say, oh, I'll take this job because it's perfect, because nothing will happen to me. I don't have to worry about it, and it must be right. Okay? Let me give you a couple of examples of the perfect situation not being right. See, when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16, the prison doors were flung open. Their freedom was just a few steps away, but they did not leave. And I don't care who you are, if you and I are in the prison for our faith and the doors open, you and I are running out of that place. This has to be right. Yes, this has to be right. God opened the door, so he must want us to leave. But they didn't leave. They saved the guard from killing himself. Then he gets saved eternally through Jesus Christ, and his whole family gets saved. And if they had run and done what seemed perfect, they would have missed out on this huge blessing. You remember when David was on the run? He was on the run from King Saul. All of his men are holed up in a cave. You know, they stunk. They were hungry. And who walks in to relieve himself in that cave but King Saul himself? And they said, David, God has offered him up to you. And then in, the, in, in my little abbreviation, basically David says, It's not for me to take his life. If God wants me to be king, if God says I'll be king, I will be king. It's not for me to do what may seem perfect to you. I have to stick to the plan. You see, fear will tell us that we should only do what seems perfect, what seems stable what seems right. You know, the opposite is just as true. Just because it seems bad, or it seems like it's not going to work out, doesn't mean it's not the right thing. See what I'm saying? Okay, didn't Jesus leave the perfection of heaven, and he took the form of man, all the while knowing that he would suffer and he would die for you and for me? Did that work out for him? Not in the short term, But it worked out for us in the long term. And if Christ had said, nah, it's not going to be perfect, I'm not going to go, we would all be hopeless. We would all be lost. You see, what fear does is it messes with our mind. And it tells us that God's plans are not the right way. See, because God's going to ask you to do some crazy stuff, okay? It is nuts for a family to pack up and drive around the country for five years reaching to church after church after church, keeping their kid, homeschooling them on the road, that's what our life has been. That is, to me, in a sense, a nuts life. But it's not if that's what God calls you to do, okay? It, and, and we can't let fear interfere with, with what God has planned for us. We can't base things on how well it's going to work out for us. We've got to base it on what God wants us to do. Okay, we, we get all that? We good? Can we move on? Okay. Don't let fear interfere. You know, Paul's friends were worried for him. They loved him. But their love wasn't the perfect thing. Their love didn't mean, just because they loved them, loved Paul, didn't mean what they wanted for him was right. Paul had to stick with what God wants. So don't just trust in man's understanding, but secondly, do trust in God's call. So I love this, what Paul says. He's a leader. He's sold out for Christ. He says, what, what do you mean to make me cry? What do you mean to, to make me weep and to break my heart? He says, for I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. He's like, he's like snap out of it. What's your problem? I'm willing to die. And you're worried about me being in chains. You're worried what will happen to me. Paul's friends begged him to stay, and they weren't thinking about the burden that he had on his shoulders. They weren't thinking about if he did what they wanted him to do, he would be disobedient to God. They cared more about their need and their fears than God. They wanted to keep him from death, but by doing so, they were killing him anyway. You see that? Do you want to know if God has called you to do something? Here's the litmus test. Can you not do it and live? If you told me today that you were going to keep me from London, you might as well just take my life. You might as well just take my life. Because I'm going to do what God wants me to do or nothing. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians I shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, we are so trapped by the trappings of this world that we don't see that, that death can't touch us. Fear shouldn't interfere with us because God is on the throne and God is in charge. And he will be our guide, not my understanding, not your understanding, but his call alone. And should you think, well, God's not calling me to die, you are wrong, because we are called to pick up our cross daily and to die to self. I love when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? We have a fascination these days with superheroes, but we serve a God That when he saves us, and calls us. He makes us untouchable. He makes us live forever. He makes us fearless. Remember back in the 90s, everybody had no fear on their truck? It was all a selfish, inward thing. It was like, I have no fear. I'm awesome. I'm great. Christians should have cornered that market. You know, we should have been the ones to say, we don't fear death because God has our back. And we will go forth. We will give of our time, our money, our talents, whatever we have to do, and we will do more, and we will not let fear keep us from anything. When we trust in God's call, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to us. It doesn't matter. You know, in in London, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the country. And in 20 years, if nothing changes, it will be the dominant faith. We have millions of people in hard countries that are going unreached because we are scared to death what will happen to us more than we are concerned with what God could do if we would be yielded to what He would have us to do. And He has called us to take the gospel to the nations. Are you praying that your children would take the gospel to to the Muslims? Are you praying that your children would take the gospel? to Southeast Asia, to China, to North Korea. Those people are just as important as you or I are, and yet we allow our fear and our trepidation and what will happen to us and what do we got to give up keep people from going to heaven. We say we believe in heaven. We believe that Jesus is the only way, but we keep it to ourselves because we're afraid to step out. And I'm saying with God, we don't even need to fear death because he's got it. Don't trust in man's understanding. Trust God's call. And lastly, trust God's knowledge. There is so much wisdom here, church. Remember this verse. Because in verse 14, Luke is saying, okay, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, we stopped, and we said, the will of the Lord be done. They pulled back and they said, you know what? We're afraid. We don't want Paul to do this. What will happen to the ministry? But Paul has challenged us to stop being afraid. And we're going to let the Lord's will be done. Okay. All right. We're going to let the Lord's will be done. As as though it wasn't going to be done anyway, but they're yielded to it now. They're yielded to it. Okay, Paul, we hear you. Okay, Lord, we hear you. We're going to be yielded up. To what you have, not to what we want. Whenever in doubt, trust God. You see, if you're called to do something and it doesn't contradict the Scripture, you can be pretty assured that that's okay with God and that he's calling you to that. And so everybody just, when when fears come and when doubts come, just back off a little bit. Just back off a little bit and trust the Lord. I don't have time to dig into it this morning, but you want to find a chapter that gives Christians um, a lot of ammunition to control fear is Romans 8. Go there and read that with the mindset that fear doesn't control us, God controls us. I want to I finish with this verse this morning. I, I love this verse, and I want to share this real quick. And I know we're, we're getting close to the end, but you wouldn't know it, but I struggle on a daily basis with anxiety. And my wife has her whole life. And until I met her, I didn't know how much social anxiety had gripped my life. And I've been able to go through the last five or six years and look at my life and realize how many times that anxiety, that fear, has been a controlling factor in my life. And to do many things, I have to trust the Lord and overcome that anxiety. And so moving to London is not something that, that I'm just all brave about and I have no fear. I do. I do. I worry about my kids. I worry about our family. I, I worry about a lot of things, and sometimes it's gr- it, it just it suffocates me, and I have to give it to the Lord. And I, you know, my we've got a child that has panic attacks, and I have to talk to them and say, "Listen, you can either let this anxiety control you; it is a real thing. You can let it control you, but if you want to have a life." That is full of joy and happiness, you you've got to step over that. When that obstacle comes, you've got to hurdle over it. You gotta push through. You gotta push through. And that's the same, same thing spiritually speaking. We've got to push through and not let fear and not let doubt interfere with our lives. Timothy, I mean, it is told by Paul in 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, God hath not given you the spirit of fear. He's, he is not, if you're afraid, it is not from God. What He has given us is a spirit of power. Power. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We, if you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He says He has given you the spirit of love. You know what love is? It's the gospel. He has given you a spirit of, sound, of a sound mind. It doesn't mean that you just jump off a cliff with no parachute. And God's going to save me. No, that's just silly, okay? He gives us a mind to pray and discern. But he does not give us a spirit of fear. What could we do? What could we do for the cause of Christ if we were fearless? If we were fearless? If we were fearless, you know, you might be here this morning and the thing that has you afraid is, if I step out and trust Jesus, will he really be who he says he is? You know, a lot of times we look at God how we look at our earthly father. Your earthly father was abusive. You think God is a bully sometimes. If your earthly father was absent, sometimes we look at God as being not there. But I'm here to tell you, if you need him today, if you need salvation, when you step out in belief, confessing your sins, and believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is a father who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will never give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of wisdom. And he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. If you're here this morning and the word of god has spoken to you don't be afraid to answer let's let's bow our heads as we go into a time of